are in the smack dab middle of a very tiny series that we're doing, which is three weeks long, uh, and it's called Unstuck. And basically, I wanted us to get to a point where we came out of this, this series called Characters, and we were talking about these sort of like, these sort of B characters in the Bible, but they weren't really B characters, right? They were actually like full-on, real-deal people that moved the needle in terms of the trajectory of what God was doing in the Bible. Um, and what I think is fascinating about that, and I just learned that a couple weeks ago, is that uh, the Bible, the entire Bible, the book of did I lose you? The book of Genesis begins with, <laughs> the book of Genesis begins with the letter B, which is fascinating, right? So we're talking about B characters. Any other poetic language at that time, anything that they were trying to write that would be a poem, which is what Genesis really is, especially the first chapter of Genesis, is a gorgeous poem that you can unpack and you can kind of look at all of the amazing symmetry and and like just imagery and we can unpack that for days the whole book of genesis begins with the hebrew letter b which is actually super rare for that time any book of poetry any poem anyone who went to school anyone who knew what they were doing would have began a poem with the letter a that was just a way of saying this is a poem you get you, you guys get it and you know what you're in for, right? So when the Hebrew scriptures were written, someone said, we need to begin this with the letter B. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, we went through all of those B characters, but two, the Hebrew letter B uh, is the shape of a house. It basically means there's a home here, right? From the very start, we can see that when we jump into scripture, there's a home here. And that it's not a threatening thing, and that it's not something that wants to beat you down. It's something that wants to invite you in, and that there's a home. And I just think that is such a fantastic place to be in this Unstuck series as we came out of the characters thing to kind of just illustrate that this right here is a home. That what we're doing right here is building a home, and every time we open up that Bible, every time we open up those scriptures, and every time we do that together on Sunday mornings, we're building a home. And so what we're going to do in two weeks as we start this new series, which is going to kick off on that same October 25th night, again, October 25th, if I haven't said that enough, October 25th, we're going to start a series called Home. And we're going to talk about what it means to be home. Uh, you are at home in so many different ways in your life. You're at home when you find the right job. You're at home when you find the right partner. You're at home when you find the right friend. You're at home when you find the right church. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through what it means to be at home, what home means, and more than anything else, this is gonna be a series and it's gonna last all the way through Christmas. We're gonna talk about what it means to belong because I think the epidemic in this city especially, in the city of Los Angeles, is a lack of belonging. We don't understand what it means to belong because everything is so transient, so fast, so fast moving that we don't ever take the time to go like, wait a minute, where do I belong? And where can I actually actually like extend that belonging to someone else, right? So on October 25th, we are gonna do that and we're gonna jump into that. And to get us there, I wanna take us through this kind of thing of being unstuck because I think so often in the same Angelino mindset, we get stuck in the place that we're at.
things that we're doing and we miss a lot. So we're gonna get unstuck and what I wanna do uh, this morning is, is go through rules. I think that one of the major things that gets us stuck are rules. And let me tell you a story to illustrate that. Uh, about two days ago, I had no idea what I was gonna talk about this morning. Um, it was one of those weeks where I was like, I nothing's clicking, nothing's going on. And I woke up, uh, and lately, so Chelsea, uh, like as the fall has started, wakes up at about 5.30 in the morning, and we'll get ready, and thus our, our dog, our puppy, will wake up at 5.30 in the morning, and thus I wake up at 5.30 reluctantly in the morning. And so uh, the dog woke up and, and was barking, and so I, I heard, and then like I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this this morning. I'm going back to sleep. I'm gonna get an hour's worth of sleep, and I don't care what the dog does to me. And let me tell you, the dog was downright theatrical. It was unbelievable. Like from destroying one of my hats to taking a roll of toilet paper out of the bathroom uh, to, to anything that he could do to try and get me out of bed. But I was like, no, no, sir, you can have my hat. I have a lot of them. It'll be fine. Like everything's okay. Uh, and I tried to sleep and I, I went through it. But I did awake to the sound of screaming children. Uh, we have these awesome two neighbors who have these two kids and uh, they have a little dog too, and uh, and they were walking their kids to school, and I heard the there's a boy and a girl, and they're about a year apart, and I heard the boy scream, or I heard the girl scream at the boy. That's not fair. So that's what I awoke to, and I was like, this is going to be an interesting day. Uh, that's not fair. And then I I, I was kind of like, okay, what's going on here? And then the, the the boy said, no, it's totally fair. That's what happens. And then the girl who, again, this is all like envisioned in my mind because I can't see this. The girl screams to her mom, mom, so-and-so, don't remember the boy's name, so-and-so says that we were in a race and that I'm losing the race and I never agreed to the race. <laughs> and I went, whoa! And then she said something brilliant. She said, okay, did anybody say three, two, one, go? And you could just, this is all happening like right outside my window. And there was a little, you could just like picture this little guy who's going like, and he says, no. And she said, did anybody say that there's a starting line and a finish line? And you heard the little guy go, no. And then she screamed like a mom who is at the end of the morning. Then it's not a race. <laughs> right? Little girl victory all the way, right? But then what I thought about was like, there are rules that we follow in life. There are pressures that are put upon us that we genuinely place on ourselves. That someone else is screaming it's a race and then the, the truth is no one, no one set those parameters. No one set those rules. There are rules that stress us out that we do not need to engage with and we do not need to follow. And so much of what Jesus was trying to do when he was here and it was to say, no, the rules that you thought were there, I'm here to tell you, you've heard it this way, it's this way. You've heard it this way, it's this way. One of my favorite moments in all of scripture is in the beginning of that Bible we talked about in Genesis, when God shows up to the first moment after Adam and Eve have eaten that fruit, after sin has entered the world, his first question to them is, where are you? And then when Adam says, we're over here, we're ashamed, we put on fig leaves, and God is like, guys, 
that's not going to cut it. I'll, I'll make you close later. But what he says is, where are you? And then who told you you were naked? And so the first two questions that God asks us in all of eternity are, where are you? And who told you that? Where are you? Who told you that? Who gave you those rules? Who said that was the way it worked? And the big problem is when the rules get twisted and when we start worrying about the rules is only when shame comes into the picture. There's a sin issue and we get that and that's what happened when Adam and Eve bit that thing and whatever. But the bigger thing is that they felt ashamed of themselves for the first time in human history. There was no shame before that happened. And so God's big question to these two was, honestly, I never wanted this for you. Where are you and who told you that? I don't want shame to run your life. And one of the most beautiful pictures we have is, yes, we had to leave the garden and all of that happens, but the beautiful part is that God actually clothes Adam and Eve before they leave the garden. He sews them clothes as a way to say, like, I, I really, really, really don't want and I hope that the shame thing won't carry with you. I hope that you can move past that. And man, I wish he sewed better clothes because <laughs> it did not carry through, right? We deal with shame, we deal with guilt, we deal with hurt all the time. And most of it is of our own making. It's those rules that we place in our life. It's those three, two, one, go. No one said that. No one said a starting point, no one said a finish point. And yet we carry to those roles and those rules like they are Bible and they are not, right? And one of Jesus' best things is he was trying to break those rules and to say like, you guys are too caught up in the minutia and the weirdness. You gotta focus on the bigger picture, which is like, who's your neighbor? Who do you love? <laughs> How are you being loved? How do you understand that God loves you? All of that was what he was trying to do. And he was trying to be like, you're so hung up on this guilt and shame and all this weirdness. I never put that there for you. Where are you? Who told you that? So the rules can shift. I tried to share this last week. Uh, the podcast didn't record and our projector wasn't working. So I didn't get to show these lovely photos. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent way more than 35 minutes on these. Um, I... <laughs> decided to break some rules last week. I wanted to accomplish something that was a life goal, and so I put it on myself and I said, what is a life goal for you, Josh? And then I thought, you know what? I wanna write a book one day. That's, that's a life goal for me. So how do I accomplish that in the least amount of time possible? And the answer was Amazon. The Kindle is readily available for you to throw whatever the heck you want on there. So for $123, that was the highest limit that they would let me go to. You can buy this book. All proceeds go to Resonate. Uh, it, I couldn't write a good book, but what I could do was take other things from other people and put Zen sayings next to pictures of my dog. And so I did that. Uh, and here is what is available on Amazon for $123. Stillness. When you realize that nothing is lacking, the world belongs to you. Lao Tzu. Deep stuff, guys. Next, stay focused. <laughs> If you chase two rabbits, you catch none. Confucius. Next one. Stay here. Be present above all else. Uh, Naval, I can't even pronounce that. Next one. Be here. Wherever you are, it's the place you need to be. 
Maxime, I mean, you're getting this, you get the point, right? But it's $123, so please go buy that. It'll help me and my family, it'll help this church, and we're going to do year-end giving stuff, so that'll help kick all that off. Anyway, that's all available on Amazon. You can break the rules now, right? That Technically, I'm a published author, and all I did was post pictures of my dog and Lao Tzu, right? Like, together, right? We can do things in this age that we could never do before. Your life is so much more available than it ever was before. Your dreams are so much like, more available than they ever were before, and yet we spend so much of our time thinking that the old rules apply. I can't do that. I've got to have X degree. I've got to do this. I've got to... That, that doesn't apply now. We are living in a new space and a new world and a new entity, and there are tons of ways to do that. And when Jesus showed up on the scene to a place in history that honestly needed so much disruption, what he did was just try and tell everyone, hey, guess what? Now that I'm here, those same rules don't apply. <coughs> and what I'm going to accomplish through the cross and through resurrection now those same rules are going to look a whole lot different, so I want to prepare you for that. So when you open up the Bible and you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go to the Gospels and you're reading that through, what you're seeing is Jesus trying to prep people for the reality that we now live in. The reality that it's done. That he has died and that he has risen again, and so now you have to live in a different way. You have to react to this God in a totally different way, and so the rules need to shift. The, the standards you place for yourself need to shift. If you are hung up that I have not hit this marker in life and I am this age, that's not, it doesn't matter. The craziest thing about the Jesus story to me is that he was 33, most scholars think, when he died on the cross. 33. I am 31 and 33 scares me to death. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I going to accomplish by 33 that this guy has caused a major world religion, right? Like, that's not the case. You don't have to be a certain age. You can be any age. And you can do whatever you need to do, and that's all part of getting unstuck. Rules were originally created to help us grow. We have the, these are the Ten Commandments. We have that slide of the Ten Commandments. Sorry, that's so tiny, but we had to fit all ten of them on one slide. Here's the deal. These ten rules were given to a group of people that had come out of nine generations of slavery. Nine generations of slavery. So they had learned principles, right? That I am not worthy, I'm not available, I can't do this, I can't do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a full human. What God wanted to do when he brings them out of that, one of the first things he does is hand them these set of rules which seems to us like, you know, hey, wave the finger. That's what a rule is, right? Like, you better, you better behave yourself and do this stuff. These rules were not meant to be like, ugh. These rules were meant to, like, make them grow. These rules were meant to take them out of slavery and into humanity. They were given these rules, the same rules that we still hold true. If you look at any law anywhere in the world, these pop up, right? There's not a single culture that's saying you should murder, right? <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, you should commit adultery. You should steal. You should give. But look at this. The first four, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Gods in that. You shall make uh, yourself, uh, you shall not make yourself any idol. 
uh, nor bow down and worship it. That's about God as well. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We're seeing God as a common theme. And then you shall remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. What's interesting about that one? Do we see God right there? Is there a God in that one? And then as we go from there, respect your father and mother. You must not commit murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not give false evidence against your neighbor. And then that final one, which is very long, you must not be envious of your neighbor's goods. You shall not be envious of his house, nor his wife, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. What happens right after that one about keeping the Sabbath day holy? All of the sudden it shifts from here's my relationship with you guys. Here's what I want you to do with God it shifts to here's what I do, I want you to do with each other. Here's what I want you to do with your neighbor, with the person sitting next to you, with the business partner, with whatever it is. And guess what? If you actually count them out, number four is you shall keep the Sabbath day holy, which is a day of rest, which means pause. And then you've got five left out of 10 that are just about how you deal with people. So you've got over half of the Ten Commandments that actually are focused towards how you deal with people. God, if this is any evidence, is less interested in how you are dealing with him than how you are dealing with other people. <laughs> And the beauty of it is he sets us up so beautifully. He just says, like, hey, don't focus on anything but me, right? That's the start. Don't, don't, don't do another idol. Don't do these other things, which could be anything in our lives. We could go on a whole series on what idols could be. But, like, don't put something above me. And then you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, which just means basically, like, remember who I am. Remember who I am. And don't abuse that. And then you shall remember and keep the Sabbath day, which means after the end of that, after you're done with what we're doing, I need you to put rest as a priority in your life. I need you to actually take a pause and just stop. And if you look at the laws that are around Sabbath, they get insane because it gets so serious because we are so bad as humans at resting. Do you know in the book of Deuteronomy, there are about seven different passages that prevent you from picking up a shovel. <laughs> Now, we don't need that a lot in modern society, but like literally what they were trying to do was to say like, you can't even pick up the tool because I know what you're gonna do with that tool. And I'm gonna tell you right now in 2019, our shovel looks different. Your phone is the shovel. Your TV is the shovel. Your whatever is the shovel, you name it. But we've got different shovels and we are picking them up all the time when we're supposed to be resting. And if you follow this numerically, we gotta see that you won't be good with other people if you don't put down the shovel. We have to build those practices into our lives, which means we actually have to build a practice of rest into our lives. And if you are feeling stuck right now, which is what this whole series is about, chances are you are not resting well enough. You are not taking that time to rest. And our culture looks at rest in a very interesting way, right? I'll tell you this much. Rest, right, if I'm gonna create a commercial for rest, 
It's going to be a, a drink with an umbrella in it on a beach, <laughs> right? Looking out onto white sand and blue waters. Here's the big deal. If you are not happy on your plane ride to the beach, the beach is not going to help you, right? We need to learn practices and build in stuff so that when we're going to go off and do like a, a restful thing, we're actually rested before we get there. That's the whole deal. Because you can't make up for your working life in a week out of 52 weeks of the year. It's not possible. We have to be better at that. Rules are supposed to guide us into growth. And that's what this Ten Commandments is all about. God is saying, like, I want you to flourish. I want you to grow. I want you to feel human again. St. Benedict, uh, who is this amazing saint, um, and also the invention of like the eggs Benedict was a great thing that he gave us all. St. Benedict uh, was a master of rules. He had a rule for everything. In fact, uh, there is a rule of St. Benedict that you can read, and you can Google that after you uh, leave here, that is just this beautiful sort of way of living life in a monastic sense. Now, here's the thing. We can't all be monks, right? And that's not, I would, I would argue, and I have a big thing in my life where I think that the monk life is sort of the easiest life that you could possibly choose because you really don't have a job and you're peeling potatoes. But anyway, I, I think that the monastic life and the way that he was doing it was actually beautiful and gorgeous. He had rules set for them at every hour. He actually was responsible for creating our concept of time. He created bells that would ring every hour to tell you, oh, it's this time, it's this time, it's this time. And that would call these people to prayer. That would call his group to uh, go make supper. It would, it, whatever it would be, they knew time before most people knew time. And he was actually responsible for the clock tower. That's what St. Benedict left us with. But his initial concept of rule, which is a word that he really crafted and used in a unique way, if you look at the actual root in Latin of the word rule, it means arch. It means support. It means something that something can grow upon. And if you look at that, if you look at a vineyard, do we have the vineyard picture there? Vines grow because there are arches and support and then the vines grow on them. When he was using the word rule, this is directly what he was talking about. He looked at a vineyard and he said, the reason these vines grow, the reason that the grapes grow, is because they have support. It's because they have a rule, right? So if we can look at that, then basically what a rule does at its best is help us grow. If it is hindering our growth, if it is hurting us, if it is causing anything to die, then a rule is not good. And those were the rules that God was trying to break people out of, right? And he wasn't trying to do that recklessly. He was just trying to say, hey, there's a different way now, and I can create these rules, and we can create these rules so that you can grow, so you can flourish. Because I'll tell you this right now, guys, to this group of people right now, slavery looks different than it did back then. Freedom looks different than it did back then. And, and your freedom looks different than most people. And so the rules have to change. We have to embrace new rules, new wineskins, is what Jesus was talking about. 
when you said those. And rules help. They are placed there for good reasons. We just have to embrace them in the right way. But the other week I had to do jury duty, which is a, if God could come quickly, jury duty should be wiped out immediately. Just, just go in there and say, like, that's, that's me. And there are people that love jury duty. God bless you. I was trying to get out of there as fast as I possibly could. I thought that my, uh, my profession as a pastor would get me off scot-free, like I'd be biased or something. And they were like, <laughs> we love you. So they threw me right in uh, to the big process. But we had this whole day. It was like nine hours long. Just like we're just sitting there. And the way the judicial process works, if you've ever been in one of these, they have like a bunch of chairs and they have to narrow it down to 12. And so they put like just this huge group there and then the front row went and then they asked them all these questions about like, you know, have you ever had an incident with this and this and this and blank, blank, blank. Uh, and we went through all of them. And it was entertaining for the first like three or four and then I was like, oh my God, we're settling in for like 12 or 15 of these and it's, oh boy. Anyway, we got through it. And towards the end, everyone was good. And then they went, they did their deliberation process. And it took forever because we had this really cantankerous juror thing. I was what was called the audience. So I was just sitting there in case someone dropped off in front and then I would be placed in. And they got all the way to the end. And I'm talking, this is like three in the afternoon. Like it's been a long day. Everyone in there is done. They're cooked. They don't want to be there anymore. And one guy, uh, decides at the very end, I mean, we are here. They're about to take a sworn statement. So they're about, they said, like, if everyone, the judge is like, everyone can rise and just swear in, everyone can go home and we'll be good. And we all laughed. And then everyone rose. And then one guy in the back raised his hand and said, what if I don't want to make the sworn statement? And we all went, what? <laughs> I, I don't want to be here any longer. Excuse me. Like, we were, I mean, we're at the end. Like, that's being on a treadmill, and it says, like, 20 minutes, and then you realize you've got, like, 20 minutes left, and you're like, no, no, sir. I signed up for this time. So we, we're there. We're like, ah, what are we going to do? And this guy then goes on a tyrant of the whole U.S. justice system and just does this whole, like, 10-minute spiel. Then the judge has to go and talk to him, and then he still refuses to make the thing. It resulted in us all having to come back the next day to redo the process. And then he actually has a trial set. And I'm allowed to talk about this. And I made sure I was allowed to talk about this. And I hope he fries. Anyway, <laughs> it was a terrible experience. But what I realized in that was like some rules are actually set there like for a real president. I almost raised my hand in the middle of it and was like, fine, I'll just do it. Like, just put me on the stage. I'll take the weight. I don't care. But, like, some rules are there so that people can grow, not just ourselves, right? And the reason this dude had such an issue is because it didn't fit his schedule. Now, this isn't serving me. When Jesus shows up and tries to show us what the rules are and tries to get us unstuck and tries to move us to different places, He's very rarely pointing at what serves just you. He's always, I mean, most often, just kind of going like, no, what serves the greater good? What serves the people around you? How do you serve these people? How do you, how do, you do that? And a major part of getting unstuck is not a personal thing. If you feel in a rut, which we talked about last week, over 60% of Americans say that they are. Part of getting out of that rut is actually serving other people, not just yourself. 
it's offering yourself up in ways to others, that's what's going to help you pull out. No one pulls themselves out of a rut alone. They need others more than they know, and we need others more than we know, and in a society that is constantly getting more me, 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 me centric, we need to just cop to that and admit that we need others more than we need ever before. We need friends. How many of you have a friend in mind that you have not had dinner with in like a year that you've been like, oh, we, we, we're always trying to get together, <laughs> right? Those can't happen anymore. Make it a priority. Get in community, be with people, and again, that's why I believe that the local church is the hope of the world, is because we have a chance here to be in community and be with people and help people, help them get out of a rut and help us get out of a rut, and we can all help ourselves get unstuck. But if we don't have communities like this, we can't do it alone. So that's my prayer for us, is that we would be people that would pull people out of that rut. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. God. <coughs> Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for a community that is designed um, to keep us from falling into these stuck places. Uh, thank you for individuals who have come together as a community and how beautiful that is. Um, I just pray as we worship at the end of this morning, as, as Junior leads us, that we would engage in that communally and not just specifically, that we would choose to open our eyes, look around and see the other people that are singing the exact same words that we are, that are breathing in the exact same patterns that we are, that are moving in the exact same ways that we are, uh, and that we choose to embrace them. Amen.